Hello and welcome to In Conversations With, a podcast of the Lancet Oncology. My name is Marcia and today I will be speaking with Dr. Manju Sangar from the Tati Memorial Center in India and Dr. Christopher Booth from the Queen's University Cancer Research Institute in Canada to discuss theirs and colleagues' paper on the comparison between cancer drugs deemed essential by oncologists and those included in the WHO Essential Medicines list, and access to these drugs in high-income countries and low- and middle-income countries. Thank you both for agreeing to speak with us, and welcome. The WHO Essential Medicines list was first published in 2003 and has evolved immensely ever since. What is the importance of this list for decision makers, such as governments? Thanks for that question, Marcia. Uh, so just to give you a brief that what WHO Essential Medicine List is all about. So this is a list which is developed by a group of experts who represent different regions across the world. And this particular expert group receives requests for inclusion of new drugs or for newer indications from different stakeholders. Subsequent to this uh, application, there is a rigorous review process to assess how much is the benefit, the magnitude of benefit by this drug? What are the toxicities? How much is the implication in terms of affordability and access as well as feasibility for delivery in different parts of the world? And based on this rigorous review, then this EML is decided upon. The important point is that this EML can serve as a ready reference for all the countries to decide what should be part of their respective essential medicine list, which they should procure as part of their national health systems. And this is highly relevant for the low middle income countries because they usually do not have means to assess the value of these different new drugs in terms of both the efficacy, the toxicity, the cost effectiveness. And that's where the EML comes really handy. The other advantage is that once you have a drug listed on EML, there are ways, especially in terms of you know, patent pooling, to get these drugs at a relatively reasonable price so that these drugs are affordable to patients in the lower middle income countries. Another advantage is that once you have a drug you know, listed on EML, it ensures a competitive pricing. So again, bringing down the price. So in nutshell, the essential medicine list can help us in ensuring that the drug is accessible to everyone across, irrespective of their you know, capacity to pay. And what do you think were the main milestones for oncology of drugs included in this list? There's a number of um, milestones I think led to this project. And so just by way of background, so uh, Dr. Manju and I and, and many colleagues from around the world sit on a working group uh, at the WHO that provides advice and input for the cancer essential medicine list selection process. And it became apparent over the last few years that it was really important to look beyond simply adding medicines to the list. Uh, although there's many advantages with having the medicines on the list as described by Dr. Sangar, and it's a very thoughtful and rigorous process to add new medicines, there was uncertainty about what happened on the front lines of clinical care. And so, you know, a number of experts very thoughtfully create the essential medicine list for cancer, but does this translate to meaningful access on the front lines? And so it was that question that led um, a number of us at the working group that really come from a variety of different health systems from low middle income to upper middle to high income countries 
with colleagues at the World Health Organization that decided it was important to look beyond the list and to actually ask doctors on the front line which medicines they felt were most important for patients and also the extent to which those medicines were available. And the way that we answered the first question was we used a hypothetical thought experiment where we asked oncologists to imagine that they were appointed uh, to a position of authority by their Ministry of Health and they could select any cancer medicine they wanted for their country, which would be available free of charge and there was no cost restraints, but they could only select 10 medicines. And so the oncologists were asked to select the 10 medicines which would provide the greatest public health benefit to the people of their country. And so that was the background of this project which led to uh, to the conduct of the study. In this article, one of, uh, of your main aims was to determine whether the cancer drugs in the WHO essential medicines list are aligned with the priority medicines of the frontline oncologists. Can you please briefly describe your main conclusions distinguishing between high-income countries and low- and middle-income countries? Yeah, so as Chris mentioned that one of the objective was whether the EML really represents what the frontline oncologists want. And that was, you know, a remarkable achievement of this particular study where we showed that the top 20 drugs which were selected by frontline oncologists who were trained in prescribing chemotherapy and had at least 11 years or more of experience in uh, practice they selected 19 drugs which were part of WHO AML. So out of those 20, 90 are already existing on the WHO AML. So this is really very reassuring and it validates the entire process which is being followed in developing the essential medicine list by WHO. Very important question, the next question, which was a corollary that Yes, it is, you know, uh, essential, it is required by the oncologist, but is it accessible across different uh, strata, different, you know, whether it's accessible by low, low middle income country, upper middle income country and high middle income country. So there were, you know, uh, important uh, findings there. The most important thing was that 60% of all those drugs which were selected by the frontline oncologists are the old inexpensive chemotherapy drugs. To our surprise, the immunotherapy drugs were only two and only four per targeted therapy. And most of these are old. By old, I mean that, you know, they were approved before year 2000. If you look at the drugs which are there, the good old chemotherapy drugs like doxorubicin, cisplatin, paclitaxel, carboplatin, and 5-FU. In addition, as I said, immunotherapy like pembrolizumab and trastuzumab as, you know, targeted therapy, which was there. One important difference which we noticed in terms of selection, so none of the LMIC countries selected pembrolizumab or osimertinib as their top 20 drugs, whereas in the HIC, these two drugs were part of the top 20 drugs. So that is one important difference. Another important aspect was affordability uh, and access to these drugs and the economic implications of you know, uh, prescribing these drugs to patients. So from LMIC, this, there was a finding that almost 68%, as high as 68% of patients experience catastrophic expenditure while accessing these drugs, whereas this percentage was you know, 10% or so for upper middle income countries, but it was limited to the drugs targeted therapy, newer targeted therapy drugs like osimertinib. Whereas in the high income country, most of these drugs were accessible 
Except for drugs like pembrolizumab and osimertinib, there was a significant out-of-pocket expenditure reported by some of the HIC participants. So this is something which was, you know, really enlightening in terms of the results, what we got that even though there are drugs available, they are perceived essential, but at the same time, there is difference in terms of accessibility to these drugs across the different uh, economic uh, groups within the countries. Um, so Dr. Sanger has already touched this point briefly, but we know that with drugs, especially oncology drugs that tend to be quite expensive, it is not always what the doctor would like to prescribe, but what is available and accessible for patients. Did you find discrepancies and differences between low and middle income countries and high income countries? Yeah, this, I think, is the most important takeaway message from the paper. As Dr. Sangar said, we found that the medicines that frontline oncologists feel are the most high priority tend to be older, inexpensive chemotherapy and hormone medicines. And most of these are already listed on the essential medicine list. So that, that finding in some ways is a good news story. The, the challenges for the healthcare system and the oncology community relate to our second major finding, which is as described by Dr. Stengar, despite the fact that these drugs are old and inexpensive, in low, middle, and upper middle income countries, they still remain massively unaccessible, largely because of cost. And this is a real problem. We know that uh, typically now um, new oncology medicines as priced in, in the Western countries tend to be in the range of $100,000, $200,000 per year. Some of these medicines offer huge benefits for patients, but a lot of them help patients live for an extra few months. And it becomes very difficult for health systems to make decisions about how to afford these medicines if we know that the old inexpensive drugs, which have huge benefits, these have tremendous benefits of increasing cure rate and allowing patients with incurable cancer to live for extra years of life. If these fundamental medicines are not even available on the front lines, there are major, major systems in the way that drugs are priced and the health system is designed. So just to follow up on some of the comments by Dr. Sengar, we know that doxorubicin and cisplatin form the cornerstone of many, many curative intent and palliative intent regimens for cancer. And despite the fact that these drugs have been around for literally many decades, in low middle income countries, about one quarter of oncologists said they could only access these inexpensive drugs with risk of putting their patient into significant financial catastrophe. And this has huge implications for the patient and their family. When we look at the rate of those medicines causing catastrophic expenditures in upper middle income countries, it drops from one in four down to about 2%. And in high income countries, it's about 1%. So we see this huge inequity in the ability of oncologists and patients to access these medicines that make a huge difference. And so the key takeaway message from our study is that number one, oncologists on the front lines of care most highly value the older cytotoxic and hormone medicines that we know have huge benefits. But the major issue going forward is that the oncology community and health systems globally need to be creative and use different techniques to arrange for affordable and equitable access to cancer medicines. This has been done effectively in other contexts like HIV, and the global oncology community now needs to use some of those techniques to ensure that patients all over the world have access to high quality and affordable care. Once again, thank you for your participation. This article is now available at lancetoncology.com and with our October issue.